ITX Next, presented by the Austin Business Journal. Exploring the future of Austin and the challenges we face. Brought to you by Trim Built Construction, building Austin since 1984. And by the business litigation law firm of Kane and Scarnulis. Hello again, this is Austin Business Journal's Will Anderson. Today we're going to talk about a pillar of the local economy, startups. Austin is known as a startup town. It is one of the higher per capita rates for new company formation in the U.S., high levels of entrepreneurship, and the infrastructure and support systems in place to nurture young companies. Startups employ thousands in Austin and contribute heavily to the region's reputation for forward thinking. But as anyone who's involved in the startup world right now knows, it's a tough time for these nascent businesses. Fears of a possible recession and jittery public markets can cause a lot of heartburn for founders still refining their business models and trying to win over customers. Venture capital funding in Austin has fallen to 2020 levels, and there have been layoffs reported at tech companies big and small. Yet, in discussing the situation with CEOs and investors, I think there's a case to be made that the current economic uncertainty could actually forge the next generation of great startups. Here are a few reasons why. There's reduced competition as other companies become risk averse. And there's typically a lot of unspent capital, AKA dry powder, raised by investment firms during the good times that's now waiting for a place to go. And perhaps foremost, hard times force companies to focus on the basics, like profitability, meaning they often emerge from a recession on sounder financial footing. That is if they emerge. Many successful startups were born after the last big economic shakedown, the Great Recession of 2008 and 09. Think of Uber and Airbnb. Local examples of companies founded around that time include Sparefoot, now known as Storable, which was reportedly valued at $2 billion a couple of years ago. To help me test this hypothesis, I invited Connor Cunningham on today's podcast. He's well-connected in the Austin startup scene as founder and former chairman and CEO of Retail Me Not and a venture partner at Next Coast Ventures. Retail Me Not was founded in 2009 and went public in 2013 before being acquired in 2017 for $630 million. So I'm interested in what he has to say about whether tough times make great companies. Cotter, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah. The kind of uh, hypothesis I want to test and run by you is if great companies can be made in difficult times, right? This idea that it can be hard right now for startup founders out there, but um, we might see a, the next great uh, generation of companies built right now. So let's start by, uh, you know, to kind of frame that discussion, can we talk about your bona fides a little bit? You were the founder, former CEO, and chairman of Retail Me Not, right? Yeah, exactly. We started that in about 2009. So right on the heels of the sort of recession, real estate recession, mostly in 2008, 2009. Yeah. And you've been in other C-suites. You've uh, you've moved on now to do, you work with Next Coast Ventures as a venture partner, investing. You're just really in tune with the startup scene here in town. So I imagine that you advise or, you know, kind of run into startups fairly often. First, gut check me. I mean, I feel like it's a couple months into it by this point, but is it troubling time for startups? Or are folks worried right now? Yeah, I think it's a tough time out there. You know, you definitely, uh, if you, we've, we've gone from kind of maybe excessive or giddy times, say six, 10 months ago to pretty tough times. I mean, great companies are still getting funded. 
But a lot of companies that would have gotten funded, say, eight, 10, 12 months ago are currently struggling and having to make do with the cash they have on hand, which is which can be hard, especially when, <laughs> you know, the, the entrepreneur went into this thinking, oh, well, I'll do this round and then, you know, I'll, I'll pop out and, and do my next round in November, December of 22. And then here we are. And, you know, it's not the same climate. It's tough. Yeah, especially if your growth projections were based on different kind of macro conditions and you were planning projects or hiring or even real estate moves, which, which can lock you into to some long-term deals. Let's go back, if you don't mind, to retail. I mean, now you talked about getting that off the ground in the wake of the Great Recession in uh, 07 and 2008 and 9. Did the hangover from the Great Recession impact funding you raised or, or how you led that company? Or, or maybe you tell me how it manifested. Yeah, I think it, it really manifested in a couple of ways. One, you know, Retail Me Not started as uh, the, uh, with the purchase of three companies on the same day. And frankly, the purchase price that we paid was lower than maybe it would have been in kind of headier times because, you know, in a tough economic environment, you know, prices are just cheaper. So if you think of it in terms of a multiple of EBITDA, we paid kind of on average about two and a half, three times EBITDA, whereas maybe in a more healthy or, you know, heady environment, we would have paid five, six, eight times EBITDA. So, you know, definitely prices were less. Also, it was easier to hire great people. And again, you always never want to make light of, of, of a challenging situation, but just being honest, people were happy to have a job. And so you could get great people pretty easily versus think back maybe a year ago you know, here in Austin, it was really hard to hire people, you know, great or not. <laughs> and so, you know, I think one of the things about coming out of a tough economic environment is sort of your ability to pick up really great people, your ability to raise money and your ability to buy things. So all those things really contributed nicely to our, you know, ability to grow. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting to think about these kind of macroeconomic waves strategically, right? And um, I was reading a really interesting blog post by the folks at Sequoia Capital, and uh, I'll, I'll post it in the story with this podcast, but they were telling founders and their portfolio, or, you know, leaders of their portfolio companies back in May and in, in, in the summer about why they needed to um, think about how, how they operated and making sure that they operated efficiently, right? Because the idea was, even if you don't have to do cuts, get, get into that mindset of think about what would you delay or pause or cancel if you had to? Is that kind of the mindset that you run into? Do you think that is prevalent out there? Well, it's increasingly prevalent. I'll say that. I mean, look, you know, I think when things are going really well and money's flush, it's easy to forget just, you know, the basics, right? Which is, you know, you're, you're in a startup, your job is to, you know, increase revenue, show growth, show, you know, increase traffic, whatever your metrics are. And it's easy sometimes to get caught up in that kind of meet with people, talking to potential funders, talking to potential, you know, employees or whatever, and you forget to kind of drive the business. And so, you know, I think that the cool thing about challenging economic environments or, or a benefit of them is it, it gives you enormous focus, right? I mean, you yeah. are, <laughs> you know where you're you pointed. Right. Yes, exactly. You know, um, necessity is the mother invention and all that kind of thing, right? Also, I think, you know, it, it forces every discussion to be a lengthier one. So, for example, 
if, if you're hiring, you know, you don't just say, sure, yeah, let's hire five new salespeople. Instead, it's can we get by with one? Can we get by with two? Let's try one and see how it goes. I mean, you're much more cautious in the way you bring people on. And frankly, you're probably quicker to let people that aren't working out for you or for them, you're probably quicker to let them go too, which, you know, you don't see in, in, in sort of easier times, if you will. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it gets back to this idea of operating more efficiently and really having to justify things like added expense. That, that's an interesting point. It makes me think about, to your point about, you know, kind of when, when capital is easy or cheap even, it makes me think of the idea of in good times or heady times or frothy times, you know, if you think about something like just picking randomly, you know, like e-scooters, right? You might, in heady times, there might be 20, yeah. 15 e-scooter companies that are all doing similar stuff and get funding. And in leaner times, you might see two or three kind of companies that get funding, but they're, you would think they would be the ones that have stronger founding teams or unit economics or or stronger value proposition, let's say. So um, in the end, you, you would probably say it's healthier, right? To have a uh, the, the money that goes then to um, more efficient companies and then they can emerge from any possible downturns on, on better financial footing. No, I think that's right. I think you see a lot less Me Too uh, companies. I think you you also see sort of, if you think about the way companies get funded, the way startups get funded, in great times, you might see people raise money that'll last them, according to their projections, for say a year or two. In tougher times, you know, a lot of the investors will pull back and say, let's fund them for a, a much shorter milestone. So they're kind of holding the reins tighter, if you will, which we can argue as an entrepreneur. I'm like, yeah, I hate that. But as yeah. an investor, I love that. Right. So you, you get into this whole issue of instead of giving you two million, so you run for a year, let's give you half a million and run for six months and see where we are. And, and that's much more common today than it was maybe you know, a year ago. Okay, interesting. So it's it's bringing back one might say a semblance of more balance to that yeah. um, equation. And it's interesting because I, I mentioned you are a venture partner at Next Coast Ventures. So what are you looking for as an investor right now? If if anybody's listening to this podcast as a startup, well, so I'm a, I'm like a consultant to Next Coast is the way is what venture partner means there. Okay. So I don't want to speak for them, but I can say in general, you know, great companies are getting funded for sure. And so what they're looking for, in my opinion, hasn't changed a ton. Instead, maybe companies that are close but not quite there are going to have a harder time, not just at Nexco's, but in general, right? I mean, I just think it really forces investors to look harder at the team, the idea, your experience, the ability to execute, who you've assembled around you, you know, all those things Whereas maybe, you know, you needed three of the four before, you need four of the four today. Yeah. Interesting points. It connects a little bit to like this idea of it being an opportunity, right? I mean, like you said, I, I'm glad I'm not a startup founder right now. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm the personality type to be a, a startup founder necessarily. Like you got to enjoy pain a little bit as an entrepreneur and be, be really passionate about it. But I don't envy those folks right now. It's hard. But there is like the sense that there's opportunity in startups right now, because first of all, you think about, you know, possible recession, who knows if it's happening or if we're already in one, but but bigger companies might become more risk averse and less willing to try something different. So there's, there's opportunity for startups there. And uh, going back to that Sequoia presentation I talked about, they, they had a quote in there that says, companies who move quickest 
will have the most runway, right? And avoid the death spiral so that those who can see a chance to slide in somewhere, a, a niche in the market that someone else isn't filling, there's an opportunity there. So going back to my main question, I mean, do you think that it is a time of opportunity and a, and a time for um, startups to either launch or, or just, yeah, try, try to try to do something that isn't being done right now? I do. I really, I really believe, I don't want to sound too much like, you know, the hustle culture guy, but I will say in general, a lot of great companies are going to get started now because this is an environment that forces kind of unique thinking, as you said before. It forces you to really grind on product market fit to really have something that's working. You know, that's what's going to get funded. That's what's going to survive. If it's kind of good, it's not going to get the funding. It's not going to make it, um, which kind of sucks because sometimes companies need that time to sort of grow into to who they are and, and what they can be. And I'm super understanding of that, but it is uh, sort of the reality of where we are. I mean, that's true. There could be great ideas or, or great founding teams that, that might not make it now and, and hopefully have the wherewithal or find the resources to come back and, and try again or a, a different iteration. But yeah, there are ideas that might not make it right now. And right. that's too bad. ATX Next, sponsored by Trim Built Construction, building Austin since 1984. Visit trimbuilt.com or call 512-689-7881. Let's start the conversation about your project. And by the business litigation law firm of Kane and Scarnulis PLLC. Handling high profile, high stakes, and mission critical matters for you and your business. Learn more at cstrial.com. Take me back to uh, that point you made about hiring, because I think that's an interesting one to think about. When we write about layoffs here uh, at Austin Business Journal, we try to put in the story like it's a chance for, uh, you know, if like a giant like, say, Meta cuts a a marketing team for something. Hey, that's that's a chance for another company. Like there are people who have just learned from a tech behemoth with huge resources how to do, you know, probably some kind of marketing. Um, The point I'm making just being that Layoffs are a chance for, for maybe a company to jump in and scoop up talent when, as you mentioned, it was a very difficult hiring environment, even you know start of the year or a few months ago. So hiring does seem like a place where startups can offer something. They don't necessarily have to compete maybe with a meta or Amazon salary right now because those companies have, have hiring freezes largely. No, that's right. I mean, look, there definitely is a weird, when we went public at Retail Me Not, one of the things you noticed is we attracted a different kind of person that definitely there are people that are seeking stability and there are people that like the kind of buzz and hum of a startup. The cool thing you can offer as a startup to somebody at Meta or Google or something like that is this opportunity to do more. If you work for a large tech company, you're going to be pigeonholed. Uh, whether they tell you that going in or not, in general. I mean, I'm sure there's a million exceptions, whatever. And you're working on big stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you are doing a job that is narrow. And so the cool thing about a startup is you can literally say to someone that's going into marketing or whatever, look, if you've got a great idea, let's chase it. You know, I mean, you can do anything. And so somebody that comes to a startup can literally do anything from, you know, helping take out the trash in the morning to, learning about marketing, learning about PR, 
learning about operations and then, you know, going home that night and taking out the trash that night too. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely an opportunity to sort of build your portfolio as opposed to doing something very specific. That said, um, you know, there, there's pluses and minuses to every job, of course. But yeah, I sure. mean, I do think, um, just to finish the other thought uh, that you asked about before, you know, I don't know what unemployment is exactly in Austin right now, but my guess is, you know, a year ago, it was it was under kind of 3%. And today, my guess is it's closer to 4 or 5 It just feels a little more expanded as more people are looking for a job. And, and I think more people are sort of looking to get away from maybe a bigger company and do something smaller. We'll see. But, you know, it feels that way just from talking to people. Austin traditionally has been a startup town. So yeah. um, so I think that's really good advice for companies out there who might be looking to use this as a chance to hire. Although, like you said, careful of your expenses, right? So so yeah. you got to justify, you got to justify the oh, hire. And like, it's not, it's anecdotal. It's not, you know, yeah. it's just a, a little bit, of, a, it's on me. But I will say I've probably met with four or five people that moved here during the pandemic from, you know, San Francisco, from LA, working for a large company, a large tech company, and are now going, you know, I like Austin. I think I want to do something here. You know, who can you help me uh, network into that, you know, is maybe Austin based and smaller and and, um, more of a a startup, which is sort of a fascinating trend. Right. It's a little bit, not quite a reversal, but an interesting evolution of the relocation to the, not downsizing, but then, yeah, a career choice to maybe go back to startups. Yeah. So weird how it, how it yeah. follows you around. Yeah. Okay. So Connor, you are also now a, uh, a colleague of mine as, as a uh, regular uh, column writer for Austin Inno for, for Brent Wistrom's uh, uh, Inno beat newsletter, answering questions from readers. And I'd like you to pretend that I'm a reader for a moment. I know you've answered questions like this in recent columns. You've done a great sure. job of, of trying to fill some of those gaps about people asking big questions right now about, hiring, runway, you know, all, all sorts of things in these uh, strange economic times. So I'm a reader or pretend I'm someone approaching you for some advice. Cotter, I'm, you know, I raised money a year ago with, with a year long runway. Now here we are. And I'm, I, I thought I was going to need to raise money again, but that doesn't seem possible for my, for my sector, for my company. How do I make this runway last for another six months? Yeah, I mean it's really hard. I mean, I, I think you know the, the the advice I've given people, and this is this is not a this is not a fake question. This is a real question that comes up almost every day. Is you know the first things first. What can you do to start saving capital today? You know, you can are there are there hires you're about to make that you can freeze? Are there contractors that you don't really need but you you can easily talk to and or reduce their hours or whatever? Are there other, you know, or is there an office space you've been looking at that maybe now you definitely don't need? Things like that you start cutting today. And then I think you have to figure out a path to break even or close to break even, right? You know, what do you have to do today to find a way to get your business um, to break even where you're not losing money? And, And so literally some people are really close to that and it's really easy. Some people are really far away. And, and it's hard. Uh, I work with one company that was probably spending a million and a half, two million dollars a year and all of a sudden now needs to get to break even. I mean, unfortunately, and it's sad, they had to lay off uh, a number of executives, a number of employees to get the company down to the size that their revenue base could support. And it's all people. I mean, one of the 
sort of dirty secrets of tech is that literally our expenses are people. You know, there's not tons of equipment, yeah, machinery, machinery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're not bakeries, you know, where you've got ovens and all that, you know, and gas and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we are literally, uh, it's people and, and a few servers at AWS. So, you know, I think when we talk about downsizing, unfortunately, it is, all, or, you know, reducing costs, it always comes down to people. All right. Another one more question. If, if I was uh, giving advice to, hey, I, I've decided, yeah, I've got a, a 5%, 10% uh, of our people, or I've, I've never made layoffs before. What's your advice for how to do that, you know, and not burn bridges? Yeah. I mean, it's really hard. I think in my experience, you have to be honest with people and tell the truth, right? We are out of money. <laughs> we, we have to reduce our costs. And I think it's okay to tell them earlier. I think the people that get in trouble are the ones that that pray for the, the Hail Mary, the, the miracle at the end, and then don't save the money to um, pay people severance to give them some sort of leg into the future. You know, there was a, an article in, in the uh, one of the papers recently about a, a large company that literally closed down and just said, sorry. And, and, you know, that was it. And no one got paid even that week. And I think that's when you, it's really unforgiven. The second thing I would say is you have to lay off enough people to get there. The, the sort of challenge that most people do is they try to do as few people as possible. And then in three months or six months, they wind up making a second cut. And I think employees tend to then go, you know, they can forgive one, but you want to do is set it up so that you make one cut and that's it. And you can go to your employees and go, look, today was a, a horrible day for our colleagues who we loved and, and adored and unfortunately are no longer with us. That said, this is it. This is the team that's taken us forward. You don't want to have to come back to that team in three months and go, oh, hey, bad news, I miscalculated, you know, we're going to have to make some more cuts again. So try to do one and done if at all possible. Yeah, I get the impetus, right? Like you want to cut as few as possible and say like, hey, we, you know, we only had to cut five people or something. But if you're just delaying something worse, that feels uh, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face and, and you kind exactly. of. You know. In my experience, usually people know the business isn't performing and they know that it's not going well. Few the, the you know, while I've had to lay people off a number of times, and it is always really, really hard and just gut wrenching. I don't think any time has anyone ever been like, "Oh wow, I didn't see that coming." Fair. Take me back just one last time down memory lane to to retell me not. And as we talked about the hangover from the recession, kind of impacting. Well, first of all, giving you an opportunity maybe with lower prices, but then impacting how you thought about growth. I mean, you ended up building a business that went public that created a, a lot of uh, equity wealth for people through through uh, liquidity events like that. Um, looking back, what, you know, the lessons you learned from that, what, what would you tell entrepreneurs today who might be wondering about that runway or wondering if they have to cut jobs or anything like that? Like what, what would you tell them about the, the big picture and what they should remain focused on during tough economic times? Yeah, no, of course. I would say that in general, if the worst thing you can be is underfunded, the second worst thing you can be is overfunded. You know, I just think overfunded typically means, you know, you have kind of, you're, you're lazy, you're not scrappy, you're hiring too many people, you're worrying about the wrong things. And so the cool thing about being sort of close to underfunded is 
it forces discipline in, in spending, in, you know, in the way you think about hiring, in the way you think about expanding your business. And really, you know, there's that old saying in private equity, you know, pressure makes diamonds. And I think the pressure, the financial pressure can, can get to you a little bit, but it also is so great in that it forces you, you can't do 10 things at once. You can't peanut butter and, and kind of do all your ideas. You have to pick your two best ideas. And, and that discipline forces so much on you in terms of, you know, how you approach the business, how you approach growth, how you approach, uh, you know, hiring, just everything, who you hire, you know, you want to kind of hire team players that, that, that can play a couple different positions, so to speak. Um, not just somebody who's kind of a, you know, specialist in one area. And so anyway, that all those things together, I think really help a ton. So while it seems like a hard time, and it is, in a way, I think it's a little bit of a blessing. Well, discipline, I think it's a great operative word to keep in mind for anyone running a company right now, especially a startup. I feel like we've answered this hypothesis of whether tough times can forge great companies. And I feel pretty confident the answer, um, as we've seen plenty of times, but sure. reminding people that, yes, that is possible. And for those that can um, be disciplined and and focus on, I love that idea. What do you do best? Or what two or three things can you focus on that are differentiators and, and add value for, for customers and partners? Like for those companies, there is good reason to think that you can um, emerge stronger from a time like this. I totally agree. Great. Thank you so much, Carl. It was really fun having you on the podcast. No, my pleasure. Thanks for the time. ATX Next, exploring the future of Austin and the challenges we face. Presented by the Austin Business Journal and brought to you by Trim Built Construction, building Austin since 1984, and the business litigation law firm of Kane and Scarnulis.